0: Good morning. This morning we'll be reading from Proverbs. In your Pew Bible, it's page 547 if you'd like to follow along. We'll be reading Proverbs 25, verses 11 to 12. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be God. So today we are back in Proverbs. We were there a little bit briefly, a quick jaunt in Proverbs. Uh, I think it was back in the end of August. And here we are in another part of Proverbs in the sayings portions. Hence our text today is so small, just two, two verses. Um, here's, here's why we're here in this text. You live in a world that is saturated with words. Words. Uh, In the mid-15th century, the German goldsmith Johann Gutenberg was credited to invent the printing press, uh, which boasted the ability to print upwards of 3,500 pages per day. Words became published at a broader scale. And from Gutenberg to Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, the publication of words has constantly been on the rise. Today, uh, words have been, become increasingly prolific. Uh, the 350 million plus uh, users on Twitter, now called X, are allowed to publish 2,400 posts at 280 characters per post, which is a ton of words per day. Now, notice I'm only addressing published words so far. That doesn't include all the, all the words spoken in a given day by all the people around the world. Uh, it's been noted that, and argued that, the average person speaks somewhere between 7,000 and 20,000 words per day. So whether you're a Chatty Cathy or a Small Talk Sammy, you speak lots of words. But here's the problem. The world doesn't need more words. What the world needs most is skilled words. So the question I ask isn't whether you speak or not. It's, the question I ask is whether you speak well and skilled and wisely or not. Because you live in a world saturated by words. You see, here's the main point of our text this morning. It teaches this. Proverbs 25, 11 and 12 teaches this. It teaches us that words are not value neutral. So they are worth speaking skillfully. So in the next 30 minutes, I'd like for us to consider two values of skillful speaking, tailoring and receptivity. And my prayer is as we study Proverbs 25, 11, and 12, that you'd be convinced that words are not value neutral, so they are worth speaking skillfully. So our text, each verse highlights one skill of speech. The first is that skilled speech is well-tailored. Verse eleven: A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Verses eleven and twelve of Proverbs come from a larger collection of Solomonic, King Solomon, uh, proverbs. These are proverbs that were copied by the men of Hezekiah. You can, if you scan up to verse one of chapter twenty-five. This section from chapter 25 through 29 credits that these are Proverbs of Solomon which men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Proverbs is a, is a kingly work. It's the work of kings to search out wisdom of how, how best to live life in God's world. And that's what Solomon has done for us and recorded his, his insights on skilled speech. The reason why Solomon is worth listening to is because uh, 1 Kings chapter 4 attests and reminds us that Solomon was endowed with a spiritual gift of wisdom. 1 Kings 4 reads like this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and the breadth of mind that, like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people from east and all the wisdom of Egypt. In other words, God made Solomon wicked smart. And specifically, Solomon recorded his instincts, his insights, in many a Proverbs. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 4 attests to 3,000 Proverbs and even over 1,000 songs that are recorded. And perhaps what we're studying this morning uh, is is part of that 3,000 collection. So what's, what's a proverb? We've been mostly in, as a church, studying Proverbs 1 through 9 over the past few years. And chapters 1 through 9 isn't quite the typical version of Proverbs that you, that you think of. It's not the pithy, sm- small uh, phrases and slogan-like words. But these verses are what's re- commonly referred to as the sayings portions. small little sh- sayings. These are short, brief, pithy statements about truth that invoke an idea of skillful living. So it's not, Proverbs aren't so much about being smart and adding to your le- intellect, it's about it's maybe more about street smarts, how, how understanding the mechanics of how life best works in the world that God has designed. Some Proverbs contain warnings, such as Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. In other words, be careful of strong drink. Or Proverbs 11:22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. What's, what's that proverb teaching? It's teaching that lacking discretion is actually less attractive than you think. Sometimes these sayings use metaphor. For example, Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. In other words, sometimes fools look like dogs. Or consider this metaphor... Also in Proverbs 26, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on its bed. It's one of the things I love about Proverbs is the imagery is so vivid. I mean, a sluggard looks like this in their bed. That's too much work for the sluggard. They're, they roll over on it like on a, on a hinge, but they can't, they can't get out of bed. They're just hinged to it. I love the imagery of Proverbs Or Proverbs 25, whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. In other words, a song can be utterly repulsive to someone who is grieving something hard. So, Proverbs are are often used metaphor, they're instructive, they have warning, they can also be misused. Consider Proverbs chapter 26, verse 9. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. In other words, it's possible to use Proverbs wrongly. But according to Proverbs chapter 1, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, Solomon outlines for us the, the proper use, the design of Proverbs, which is simply instructions on skillful living in God's world. So how about our text, 11 and 12? Our text teaches on skilled speech using the metaphor of gold. Look again at verse 11. <clears throat> a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So we have two parallel statements of speech related to speech in Proverbs 25, 11 and 12, And both are using the metaphor of gold, hence that's why I put them together um, in in our preaching text this morning. Now here's what you need to know know about gold in scripture. Gold was extremely valuable in ancient times, as it is portrayed to be valuable today. Simply put, gold signifies value. So in ancient culture, Gold was a sought-after resource. It was used for earrings and bangles and necklaces, amlets, signet rings, and these were all, com- gold was common in, in, in fashion and jewelry to express value and, and worth, just like it is often today. Gold expresses value. In the Bible, gold is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. You might recall uh, there was a a river that flowed from Eden and out of Eden, then it split into four parts. And the second area, the whole land of Havilah, there was gold. So gold first shows up in chapter two of Genesis. Sometimes gold was used to glorify man. Perhaps uh, Daniel chapter three is the, the best reference to this when King Nebuchadnezzar built a, a gold statue 90 feet tall of himself. Or in Exodus 32, when Israel famously uh, molds their own golden calf. So gold can be used to glorify man in the Bible, but gold is also used to glorify God in Scripture. Think about the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, Here's how one commentator summarizes the significance of gold in Exodus chapters 25 to 31. He writes, The materials, design, and layout of the tabernacle... Signify how Israel is to relate to the Lord. For example, the objects inside the tabernacle where the Lord will meet with his people were made or overlaid of pure gold. This is in, set in contrast to the materials further away from the center, in which, those, in, case, in those cases, they are made of bronze or silver. So in other words, the, the closer the items were to the holy of holies, the closer proximity you had to God, the higher the value of material was. So material represented proximity to God. The Ark Covenant was that, that housed the Ten Commandments was made of gold. The gold rings, there was gold rings on the Ark, and even the posts that carried the Ark were also made of gold. Uh, the mercy seat was gold. The two cherubim were hammered out of gold in the tabernacle. The table of bread, the plates, the dishes, and the, and the Holy of Holies were all gold. There's the golden lampstand as well, and, and so on. All this to say that gold is next to godliness in its use in Scripture in this positive way. More particularly, uh, you should know that in Solomon's day, silver was pish posh. It was less than gold. First uh, Kings chapter 12 says that all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. So the only thing that touched, touched Solomon's lips were gold. So when he's teaching these Proverbs, you know, the people hearing would have seen and heard gold all around them. They would have known instinctively how, how valuable of a reference this was. All the vessels in, in Solomon's house were pure gold. None of them were silver. This is how 1 Kings describes it. Because silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. To Solomon, silver was kind of like like dirt. So therefore, the original audience would have heard verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. They would have have understood that what Solomon is is saying here, that words that are fit, that are timely, that are apt and tailored, are brilliant. They are to be supremely valued. In other words. Words aren't value neutral. Some words are better than others. Uh, Fit words are supremely valued and cherished. They are to be highly sought after, Solomon is teaching. He's saying that really, really good fit words are like gold embellishments on a setting of silver that really pop. They flash. They, They really sing and stand out to you. They are extremely, extremely valuable. You can think of it this way, just to change the metaphor a bit. Consider fit speech and generic, general speech, is kind of like the difference between a tailored suit and a suit that you would buy off a rack at a department store. A tailored suit is designed for a particular person for a particular occasion. A suit off the rack at a department store is, is... designed for a general person, for perhaps a generic occasion. For the record, I've bought many a suit off the rack. I've never bought a personally tailored suit. But a suit off the rack is uh, a generalist approach. It tends to be generic. The sleeves are kind of baggy. Actually, in fact, the suits that I have bought off the rack, I've had to bring to the dry cleaner to have the the cuffs tightened up and the, the the pant length shortened often. Uh, the, the jackets often is a bit too baggy and, and saggy. Uh, perhaps you need the buttons adjusted so it fits better. But Solomon is saying here in verse 11 that skilled speech is more like the tailored suit. It's a thing of beauty when it fits the right person for the right occasion. Tailored suits are like skilled speech. They are, they are fit. They are golden. Skilled speech, therefore, is more valuable than just generalizations because they are tailor-made custom for a person. So how would you describe your typical approach to advice giving? Are you a generalist or do you speak a fit word to a particular person in a particular occasion? Do your words have a more generic department, department store, off-the-rack feel to them? Or are they fit and fine-tuned to a certain person? Do you tend to speak in cliches? Do you tend to give advice, the same advice for sort of every occasion, sort of the same adage, a one-size-fits-all approach to your advice giving? For example, uh, are you someone, when when someone comes to you with a struggle of sin, are you someone that just replies, "Ah, just have faith, sister? Or when someone comes to you with suffering and you still just reply, just have faith. Or when someone comes to you with their fears and your sort of generalist approach, the, thing that, the advice that comes to mind and once more, still, ah, just have faith. Or when someone shares something really, really exciting with you and they still respond, oh, just have faith. I'm overstating the point, but you know the feeling. When someone comes to you in the midst of grief or suffering or sin or encouragement and excitement and you just kind of feel like you don't know how to respond. This one-size-fits-all approach just isn't as valuable as honing the skill of a fit word for a certain occasion for a certain person. Or when someone just experienced some kind of suffering and you have the department store kind of approach. And the only thing that comes to mind is Romans 28. You know, now remember, God works all things for the good of those who love him, and that's, that's your first response to suffering. And, and internally you're like, I know, I know I can say something perhaps more fitting to the occasion, more nuanced, but that's the thing that comes to mind and I, I kind of feel stuck. This is departmental speech. But skilled speech is well tailored. For example, When someone shares their fears with you, skilled speech might say, you're going to be okay, when the context is that you just know someone needs a little bit of reassurance. Or when someone else shares their fears with you, skilled speech might say, that scares me too, knowing that that person, what they need to hear is a companion in the fear, that someone actually acknowledges the fear right along with them. Same presenting problem, fear, fear. On one occasion, you say, it's going to be okay, because you know the person just needs a little little bit of reassurance. The other person sharing their fear, perhaps the context more means uh, and necessitates a fit word of, that scares me too. They need affirmation. This is what tailored speech looks like. But not only is skilled speech well-tailored, according to verse 11, but Here's my second point. Skilled speech is well-received. Verse 12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Now, we'll spend less time on verse 12 because we've already focused on the metaphor of gold. So here let's focus on the differences between verse 11 and verse 12. First, unlike verse 11, verse 12 states and brings up two objects of gold rather than one. Verse 12 says, like a ring of gold or an ornament of gold. I think this is Solomon's way of saying and suggesting that verse 12 actually has higher value in skilled speech than verse 11. The general metaphor, gold, is still highlighting value of speech, of skilled speech. But this time, it's two objects of gold rather than one. So I think I think Solomon is upping the ante of skilled speech here in verse 12. In other words, it's like Solomon is saying I know that skilled speech is strikingly valuable when it's a tailored word. But you know what's even more special is when speech is a rebuke, a reproof, a word of correction. And when that correction is met with a receiving ear. So in verse 12, you still have the metaphor of gold. But the first difference is that two objects of gold are mentioned. The second difference is that the speaking reference this time is a corrective word rather than just a general a word. And third, there's the emphasis on the receptivity of the reproach, the, the listening of an ear. What's so striking to me about verse twelve is is that it corrects how I tend to view reproof or a word of correction or rebuke. You see, here's what I, I would have here's how I would have written verse twelve. I would have said something like this: like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise encourager to a listening ear. You see. What this is, exposes to me is that I tend to value a word of encouragement over a word of rebuke. But here Solomon is saying, actually, no, no, no. Rebuke is actually something wildly special and valuable. This is, this is probably the most striking insight of God's text as I studied it this, this week. It was a corrective word for me. This, this verse 12 highlights that my need to to hone and consider the skill of speaking hard words at times and knowing that they are actually really, really valuable. It exposes the reality that I actually undervalue the proper use, a wise use of a reproof or rebuke, a corrective word. Let me see if I can illustrate this teaching point uh, this way. Consider two imaginary friends. We have Positivity positivity Pete and Well-Balanced Bob. Here's, Here's Positivity Pete. People really like Pete because he is Mr. Positive. He's known for being wildly encouraging. You know, Pete's the kind of guy that you're having a bad day and Pete will say to you, yeah, but your hair looks so lovely. He's Mr. Pete is sort of Mr. Brightside on everything that comes this way. Pete's way of speaking is, is quite desirable because even in hard times, he's always, he's always positive. So even when you messed up, Pete's the kind of guy of saying, you know, don't worry, there's always tomorrow. And of course, as I, as I mentioned Pete, let's, let's not forget about his twin sister, negative Nancy. Nancy's sort of just the same as Pete, but opposite. People like Nancy because she tells it like it is. Uh, they're similar, but yet different in this way. When people who have been truly hurt or are grieving or they're tired of the woes of this world and the trite cliches of her twin brother, Pete, they go to Nancy because Nancy will acknowledge the hard things. She's attractive in that way. People find Nancy's candor refreshing, like like a breath of fresh air. So in a world where God the Father is reconciling the Son, reconciling all things through the Son. Here's the problem with Pete and Nancy. Pete and Nancy are just, they're just one note. You see, God is up to a far more sophisticated work in our world. Because the Father has sent the Son to reconcile all things through Christ. There's both an acknowledgement of all the unlovely in the world, but yet a hope still to come and still for today. It's, it's really balanced Bob that is the better approach. So consider, consider Bob. Bob has learned the value of skilled speech. He's, he's nuanced. Bob is, my, is who, who Paul might think of when he says, we are to speak the truth in love. It's both truth, but also delivered with the motivation of love and kindness and care. Bob speaks tailored words, custom fit to the occasion. He's willing to say the hard things. He's willing to say a corrective word, but he's not rash or harsh about it. People walk away from having a conversation with Bob, even if he corrects them. They walk away from Bob thinking, that man cares for me. He pointed out something that I was in danger of, and I'm actually walking away a better person because of Bob's corrective word. That's balanced Bob. He's not a people pleaser. He's not a gossip. He's not generic, he's not an off-the-rack speaker. That's Balanced Bob. So which, person, which person's speech, Pete, Nancy, Bob, is more valuable? Really, it's, it's Bob's. Proverbs 21, 11, and 12 would say, Balanced Bob is the skilled speech you want to aim for. We don't just need Balanced Bob's, though. Verse 12 reminds us that we need receptive Rogers. You see, wise reproof needs receptive ears, listening ears, according to verse 12. So we need more Rogers. Imagine what our church would look like if we had more Rogers people that have not a defensive posture, but a humble, teachable spirit. A Roger is a humble learner. Humble learners like Roger don't think too highly of themselves. They also don't think too lowly of themselves. When they hear a correct word, it doesn't destroy them. They, they hear it as supplemental, encouraging, something there to build them up, not tear them down. So when someone corrects Roger, he listens like a careful student. He doesn't spin out into despair because he thinks too low of himself, but he doesn't spin into uh, high, righteous thinking when someone speaks a word of encouragement. Receptive Rogers have a humble, teachable spirit. So here's what our imaginary friends teach us about skillful speech. Bob teaches us that skillful speech balances reproof with encouragement. But also, Receptive Rogers teach us that skillful speech pays attention to the receptivity of a reproof, a rebuke. This is what verse 12 says. Describes as golden. So, which characters do you uh, relate most to in my imaginary story? Are you more of a positivity Pete? Do you think of, people think of you more of a negative Nancy, or balanced Bob, or receptive Roger? Here's here's what you might maybe should consider this morning. If you're if you're like me, I'm more the positive Pete. In verse 12 corrects me in this way, I need to be reminded that there is a fitting, valuable use of speaking corrective words in God's world. I'm more of a shy guy. I I, I tend to lean on encouragement more than sharing a corrective word. And verse 12 reminds me that there is a really valuable place for words of correction. And so perhaps I need to Bump up the value of a rebu- how I view a rebuke. Some of you might be more of a rebukeaholic. Maybe you need to tone it down a bit. Maybe, maybe words of rebuke, in this sense, remind you that you need to be more sensitive to Rogers. Not everyone wants to hear your rebuke, and perhaps uh, the ap- a key application for you is to be reminded that you need to be more attuned to the receptivity of ears because a rebuke's just laced everywhere without a consideration of the receptivity of the ear. That's not as valuable as what verse 12 is saying. What's valuable is when rebuke meets a receptive ear. So if you're a rebukeaholic, consider this morning, how receptive are the ears that you're trying to speak to? Now, Proverbs are not promises. So I won't promise you, and Solomon is not promising us, that if you share a corrective word, it will always be met with receptive ears. You know this from experience. It's not a promise, but it is is a truth that in God's world there is a place for rebuke. This is what verse 12 is teaching us. So here's what's at stake. When a a wise reproof and rebuke meets a receptive ear, The surprising thing is redemption can happen. Life change happens when a reproof meets a receptive ear. Here's what I mean. Here's here's an example. When I thought about how have I experienced verse 12 and verse 11 in my life, a word Rob, a former boss, shared with me is what came to mind. Here's here's the situation. A couple years ago, I was in a leadership role, and this was my first year in this role. And Rob, my supervisor, was giving me sort of a mid year evaluation. We're on a little stroll, on a walk. He shared a couple encouraging words with me Greg, you're doing a good job. Being a new leader is not always easy, and you're doing a good job. There's many things you're doing right, and he named three or so things. And then came the reproof, the word of correction. And here's what Rob said. Rob said, "Greg, do you know what neoteny means?" I didn't, and perhaps most of you don't. Uh, I said, "No, Rob. What does what does neoteny mean?" And uh, it's interesting. Neoteny is a is often a a, it's used as a medical term. It's it describes the 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 syndrome when there's sort of uh, young childlike features still in an adult person. And here's here's what Rob's point was. Rob said, Greg, I was in a leadership cohort once, and we studied executive leaders who lasted a very, very long time. And do you know what the core characteristic of these leaders that kept them lasting in leadership for a very long time? He said, we discovered that long-lasting CEOs possess the quality of neoteny, a childlike spirit. So he was using this in a positive sense. So here's the rebuke that Rob was sharing with me. In a kind way, Rob was saying, Greg, if you don't take, stop taking what you're doing in yourself so seriously, you're not going to go far. Greg, you are way too serious. It was his kind of kind way of saying, Greg, slow down. You're being too serious. Lighten up a little bit. <laughs> you're, you're spinning out too quick, too fast. Go slow, slow down. You need neotony. You need a little bit more childlikeness in you. Friends, that word of rebuke was redemptive. It changed and transformed my life, genuinely. And I, you know what? The surprising thing about it was I walked away from that conversation with Rob, realizing that I was so much better off than he found me. See, this is what I think is happening in verse 12. When a reproof meets a receptive ear, it breeds redemption. And so that person that you correct walks away with gold embellishments on them. They're actually adorned with lovely things. They actually are found to be more lovely than than they were before the rebuke. That's what's amazing about rebuke. So do you speak skillfully? Do you value rebuke this way? Consider uh, some of these diagnostic questions this morning for a little bit of personal evaluation. Question one Would people describe you as more of an encourager or a reprover? And question two When's the last time you lovingly pointed out something corrective to someone? Or consider question three. Which is more difficult of a challenge for you? To speak too generally? Or to avoid corrective speech? Or ignoring the receptivity of the ears of whom you're speaking to? Which which three of these unskilled forms of speech do you find most challenging? Are you a generalist? Are you an avoider? Or are you sort of... Ignorant to listening ears. Okay, let's pause here and recap what we've covered so far. So far, I've been arguing that you live in a world saturated by words. So the need is not more words, but skilled words. Because words are not value neutral. They are worth skillfully speaking. And so skillful speech is well-tailored, point one. And point two, skillful speech is well-tailored received. Now let's take a step back and ask why does speech even matter? Why is it even worth considering the nuances of of skilled speech? Here's my third point. Skilled speech is godly speech. That's why it matters. If you take scripture as one big story, and, you, and you, you trace the thread of speaking and speech through this story. The story might go something like this. In the beginning, God spoke, and it was good. That's basically what Genesis 1 says, doesn't it? And God's speech was, was good, and it was well-tailored. You see that in Genesis 1 when he's demarking uh, the, the sky from the land and the, the earth from the, ski and the sea and the stars and the sky, at, and night, and the moon by night, and the sun by day, he, his speech is tailored, it's nuanced. But those speaking started good, it eventually turned south. Speech first became unfit when the serpent slandered God. And then Adam and Eve, what did they do? They stopped becoming receptive rogers, And instead, they too started speaking their own words of deception and deflection. She did it. He did it. Crooked speech began. Speaking words of death rather than redemption. The iconic pinnacle of poor speech in the Old Testament might be the Tower of Babel. I mean, what is is Babel? Babel is wasteful speech. It's unproductive. It's speech used for ungodly means. The Tower of Babel is sort of perhaps an an icon of unskilled speech used in unredeeming ways. Speech used to, to build man up rather than God up. So what does God do? God graciously confuses their speech. And then he sends these speakers called prophets who are basically, reprovers. Because God values reproof. He values corrective words when people are in danger or on the wrong track. God sent prophets. And when God's people were receptive rogers to these prophets, life was kind of golden. It worked really lovely and well. But there's this vicious pattern of rebuke from the prophet, and then a little bit of receptivity from God's people, but then rebellion once more. And so the pattern continued. Rebuke, reception, rebellion, rebuke, reception, rebellion, on and on and on and on. But thanks be to God, he sent a once-for-all rebuker. Jesus, the final prophet. Here's how The preacher of Hebrews chapter 1 describes Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, so in the here and now, he has spoken to us by who? By the Son. Jesus is the once and for all rebuker. Jesus is skillful in speech. Jesus and his life and ministry and the accounts of the gospel show how skillful his speech is. He spoke tailored words, not departmental, generic, off-the-rack words. He spoke well-received rebukes. He wasn't always, of course, well-received. That's why Proverbs chapter 25, verse 12 is not a promise but a value. Jesus spoke well-received rebukes. Uh, Let's just choose one story to illustrate Jesus' skilled speech. Consider his conversation with the woman at the well. You probably remember it. You're familiar. What happens? Once again, Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee, from the the south to the north, and along the way he has to pass through, by choice, he's passing through Samaria. And it's about midday, it's warm and it's sunny, and he's thirsty. So he goes and sits by a well. He sends his disciples away to go go pitch, uh, go find some lunch in the village. And here's this woman coming up to fetch some water, and Jesus is there waiting. And now, of course, you know some of the, the cultural context. It wasn't fit for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman. But this shows and highlights how tailored Jesus' speech was. He was not following the sort of social speech norms of the day, but he wanted to meet this woman with a fit word, a tailored word to her particular situation. Now, after a dialogue on where to find living water unfolds, Jesus moves from skillful speech in the beginning of the conversation to skillful reproof, or a corrective word. You see, when the, women, the woman asks for this water that Jesus is alluding to, that is eternal, that will never make her thirsty again, she asks, what do I need to do to get this water? And Jesus shares this first rebuke. This is from John chapter 4, verse 16. He says, go and call your husband back to me. Rebuke number one. To which she replies, I have no husband. To which Jesus replies, you're right in what you say. You have no husband. The fact is that you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Rebuke number two. And do you remember how she responds? She's starting to sense that Jesus is more than just an average Joe. Joe. And she's starting to catch on that Jesus is a skilled speaker. He's, she's never quite met someone to, who knew her life this way, who, who spoke a tailored word in such a way that it was striking. And so at first, she responds and says, you, You're like a, you're a prophet. There's a bit of divinity in you that I sense, she says. But then they get into the, a little bit of a theological debate on where worship, the proper place of worship, happens. And then the climax comes when the woman says, well, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, here's what he'll do. He'll be the type of guy who'll he he'll, he'll he'll explain everything to us. He'll be a really wicked good speaker. And then in verse 26, Jesus says, it's me. The one speaking to you right now is me. Which really is rebuke number three because she didn't recognize who she was talking to. You see, Jesus was pulling back layers of receptivity with three different rebukes. And each rebuke got one step closer to a receptive ear. And the result was remarkable. Do you remember what the woman walked away saying? It was as if she was adorned with gold. Even though Jesus was giving her a hard word, she walked away more lovely, more beautiful, more resplendent because of this hard conversation. You remember what she walked away? It was like she was light on her feet, going back to the village. And here's what she said to the village. She said, come and see the man who told me everything I did. Now, that's not typically what I think about when someone shares a hard word. I don't think, oh, yeah. Rob just called me out. And I want everyone to know sort of the mistakes he just highlighted in my life but what the text is showing us and what Jesus in this sort of vignette with this woman at the well is showing us is that rebuke falling on receptive ears leads to lovely golden redemption see that's the power of a rebuke when it falls on receptive ears it is redeeming and I forget this I wonder if you do too Skillful speech explains reality. So this is the ultimate goal of, of skillful speech, is to explain reality in tailored, lovely ways that leaves people better off because you brought it up. You see, Jesus tailors his words to the woman at the well. It's fit to the person for the occasion. Jesus is willing to say the hard things and hear it falls on receptive ears. Friends, the story of the gospel, the gospel message is skilled speech of rebuke. This is kind of, I guess, my, my closing point. Not only is skilled speech well-tailored, skilled speech is also well-received. Point three, skilled speech is godly speech, but more particularly, skilled speech is gospel speech. It's redemptive. That's why it's so supremely valuable. Think about how you became a Christian. It's because you were confronted by God's word, probably through God's people, saying, you're sick and you need a savior. That is corrective language. But the heart of sharing the gospel is not to put something, someone down. It's to invite them into the golden life to be restored in a right relationship with God. It adorns them with ornaments of gold and and golden jewelry. It's embellishment. The person that hears the rebuke of the gospel, and when you respond to it by faith, it is like gold. Proverbs 25, verse 12, is in here because I think it's gospel speech. Reproofs, fallen on receptive ears, is gospel speech. This is your story, Christian. And so because God speaks skillfully, and the gospel is gospel speech. Therefore, this is why we are called to speak skillfully. So wherever you are on the spectrum, whether you're more of a positivity Pete or a negative Nancy, or, or perhaps you're growing to become a balanced Bob, nope, Jesus is the most balanced Bob. Our aim is rebuke that falls on receptive ears, that bears the fruit of redemptive lives. So speak wisely, tailored. Speak wise rebukes to receptive ears, like the way Rob, my former boss, spoke to me. Friends, you, you live in a world saturated by words. And since God is a God who speaks skill, skill, skillfully, you are called to speak skillfully as well. And you, you'll make a mess of it, that's fine. One day, your speech will be so skillful and we'll be surrounded in in a world laced with gold all around us, and it will be lovely and beautiful. But until then, it's okay to to make a mess of things, to try your best at speaking less generically, more particularly, and speaking sound rebukes to receptive ears. You're called to speak fit words like tailored suits. You're called to speak reproof to receptive ears like a balanced bob. And in doing so, even your hard words will be valued like gold. Because remember, Proverbs 21, sorry, 25, 11, and 12 is, is teaching us this, that words are not value neutral. Some are better than others. So you are called to speak well, just as Jesus has spoken to you. Amen? Amen. Lou is now going to come up and pray a prayer of golden speech of application for us. So let's let's join with Lou as he prays for us.
1: Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word, and we pray that you would open the ears of our hearts, that we would know that the words you speak to us in your word in the final word jesus christ are given from you a loving father who cares for his children and that we need your wisdom your instruction we need your encouragement but we need your correction and reproof and so lord we confess and acknowledge That first of all, our our ears are dull to your word too often. Our hearts are dull to hear what your spirit is seeking to say to us. And so we pray that you would pierce our ears and our hearts and our minds and our wills with your word so that we would be ones who with joy accept the discipline, the corrective that you give us. And then, Lord, in turn, would you make us people who so love you and so love one another that we would be humble and yet bold to speak words of correction and encouragement to each other and to receive them as such. To the end, that these words would be beneficial to our growth in Christ and that we would grow up in strength and unity and love and truth, we would grow up and to give glory to the one who is the head of the body, Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would do this for your glory and for our sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.